If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Philemon. Philemon. If you're looking for Philemon, it's in the New Testament. If you go to Hebrews and just flip a page over, it's right there. Uh, we're going to be in Philemon for the next two weeks. Um, we're going to be reading the first seven verses of the letter to Philemon today. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light unto our path. We pray by it this morning that you would comfort us, that you would convict us, that challenge us, transform us. Would your son be our teacher this morning, we pray. In his name. Amen. Well, I know you all wonder about it, so I'm just going to go ahead and dispel any suspicion. Uh, I get asked a lot, what do I do all day? And so I just want to give you a snapshot into my day. So last Thursday, uh, I was doing the Lord's work, uh, and I was watching YouTube videos in my office all day. The amount of you all that looked over at Tim to make sure that it was okay to laugh at that joke was really good. But no, for real, I sat in my office probably for two hours last Thursday, and I was just watching YouTube videos on repeat, a lot of vlogs about people who kind of just walk around with a camera and film their life. And I was really struck by this common theme at the end of all of these videos where these people would say, you know what, we really want to thank our community. We want to thank our community. And they'll usually end with something along those lines like, you know what, we're really grateful for the community that we've built on this YouTube channel. You know, our fans and our community, they're just so positive and uplifting. And I sat back and I realized that, you know what, much of what makes these videos, much of what makes these platforms enticing and attractive is just that. It's this promise of community. See, we all want this place to belong, don't we? And these social media giants and these platforms, these YouTube channels, or whatever you want to call them, they've all realized this. And so that's why you see all these brands. They're building what we call communities of fans, right? These communities and meaning. If I'm a fan of this brand or of that channel or a fan of this sports team, I have a place to belong. And that's important because this longing to belong, this longing to belong is more potent and more powerful than maybe at any other time in human history. Cigna did a study that says at least three out of five people will say that they are suffering from loneliness. 
three out of five people will say that they're suffering from loneliness. And so the data shows that while we have more and more ways to connect through technology, through other means, we feel more isolated and alone than ever before. And you fast forward to March of 2020, and we realize why that's the case. Because we as humans, we crave community, we cr- but we realize that you can't just build it any old way. You can't simply just create a vibrant online supportive community. You can't just hop on a Zoom call and expect deep friendship. And so as we emerged from a time when we were in forced isolation back in March of, in April of 2020, the question that many people have been asking is, okay, how do we do community in a way that's actually impactful, in a way that actually will give meaning and shape to my life? You see, if I can't just Zoom or if I can't just social media my way to good community, then how do I do community in a way that will actually transform my life? And so we turn to Philemon this morning, and I want this question to be in your mind. What does a transformative community actually look like? What does a transformative community look like? What are its characteristics? That's what we're going to talk about today. And what are its habits? That's what we're going to talk about next week. And Philemon is a very short book. You notice it's only a page long. It's only 25 verses, and this book to give you some context, is a personal letter from Paul to another Christian named Philemon. And it's a book that's detailing a very specific situation that needs to be resolved between the two of them, between Paul and Philemon. And to summarize that dispute, we didn't read it this morning, we'll read it next week. But Philemon owned a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ended up running away from Philemon after he committed wrongdoing against his master. And in this time of running away, Onesimus is going to actually meet Paul, and Paul is going to lead him to the Lord. And then we realize Philemon is also a Christian. He also knows the Lord. So Paul realizes that now there's a dispute in the body of Christ that needs to be addressed. Onesimus has wronged his master, and he needs to ask for forgiveness. And so this letter is actually addressed to Onesimus' master, Philemon, asking for him to forgive his former slave and to welcome him home as a fellow brother. And so as we read this specific circumstance, as this specific moment in time, what we realize is when we zoom out, this letter and the way that Paul is going to deal with Philemon, it's built on a rule set of an entirely different community. See, normal ways that the world should work means that Onesimus should be punished, that Philemon was wronged in this culture, and that he should receive justice. However, what we're going to see is that Paul actually appeals differently. And this letter is just dripping with the characteristics of a better and redeemed community. And it's because Paul and Philemon live according to the rules and the patterns of this redeemed community that this whole letter, this whole conversation can happen in the first place. Because they live in community according to God's way and not their own way, they experience reconciliation. And by experiencing reconciliation, subsequently they experience life. So I want us to turn to the text this morning and see what does Paul unveil about the type of community that brings transformation? 
what can we glean from this text? What empowers true community? And the first thing we see is that Paul realizes that this community has common purpose. Common purpose. So if you go to verse 1, right away, you notice something really interesting. Look at how Paul addresses Philemon and the others in the church that he's writing to. Usually we don't pay attention to these greetings, but this is really important. He calls Philemon a fellow worker. A fellow worker. And he calls Archippus our fellow soldier. And so right away we see that the foundation of this relationship between Paul and Philemon is their shared gospel ministry. They're both engaged in sharing Christ with others, and they relate to each other as partners in ministry. And so the first source of community that we ought to pick up on is this common purpose of the gospel. And I think this makes sense to us, right? We will unite around a common purpose. We'll, we can come to church. We'll get into small groups, right? And our purpose is because, you know what? We love Jesus. We want to be around like-minded believers, right? Tyler, that's a pretty common sense point. Or is it? See, going back to the text, if you read what binds Philemon and Paul and even Archippus here, it's important to note what Paul doesn't say. Paul does not call them brother or friend. If you go read some of Paul's other greetings, that's a general trend that he has, but he doesn't do that here. And what's crucial to get here is that the foundation of the redeemed community has nothing to do with Paul or Philemon's relationship to each other. But it is solely based on the mission, which is outside them both. Has nothing to do with Paul or Philemon's relationship to each other. It has everything to do with the mission that is outside them both. They are friends for sure, but the grounds of their relationship is God and his work. And you're asking, why do I raise a big deal about that? Because when we think about our community having common purpose, that means our purpose, what unites us as a small group, what unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ, what unites us as a church, that purpose has to be located outside of us. It can't start with us. And that's a big deal because the great temptation nowadays when we talk about community is for it to start with us show you think about your answer to this question why do you love your church why do you love your church well some of the answers i've heard over the years we love it because our friends are here we love it because they have a great children's or student ministry we love our church because we like the preaching we love our church because we love the culture of this church and if i named one of your reasons those aren't bad reasons those are good reasons to love your church. But I want to caution you that the danger is when in our hearts underneath, our actual purpose is for the community to meet our own needs. For the community to meet our own needs. You see, oftentimes we have this kind of underlying purpose that when we join community or we cultivate relationships, whether spoken or unspoken, is that, you know what, we realize we need something and we have a community that's there to meet our needs. And that's why when communities like your town or your nation or your family or even your church, when they fail us, when they don't meet a need you had, 
when you perceive that there's been an injustice happening within your community against you, when it fails your expectations in some way, it's just easier to break ties. Because it hasn't served its purpose. See, if the church, say, challenges you in a way that you don't necessarily like, right? You have an out. You can just withdraw. If you don't see the practicality of something in the community, it's just easier to get away from it. See, the temptation is, is when we're community building, when we're talking about community, if we aren't careful, community can actually become about my preferences, my wants, and my needs. But when the Bible refers to community, vibrant, Christ-centered, transformative community, it will always be grounded in a purpose that is outside of us. See, the gospel is the center of community. And the reason that we're in community to begin with is to serve that mission. If community is just a way for us to get our needs met, if it's built on this assumption of this unspoken give and take between each other, then it will ultimately falter. See, transformative community has to be built on a common purpose, which is outside of ourselves. So that purpose becomes the center by which we judge and look at everything else inside. Common purpose outside of ourselves. If we jump down a little bit further, we see the second power of true community, and that's common knowledge. So common purpose and now common knowledge. If you go down a little bit further, Paul starts writing that he's grateful for Philemon and his faith, and then he prays this great line, that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in Christ. That the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in Christ. And that word sharing, that's the word koinia in Greek. Uh, you could translate that fellowship. You can translate that partnership or sharing. And so within the transformative gospel community, we begin to understand things about the gospel. We begin to understand things about Jesus. We begin to understand things about God. We begin to understand things about the Christian life that we couldn't know if we lived our Christian lives alone. Right? Going back to Tim's point a few weeks ago, right? There are things that only God does or things that God only does when we're together. And I think when we start thinking about that idea, that there are things that only God only does when we're together, that's why there's so much pushback on church in a digital age. Pushback on church in a digital age, right? There's this idea that, you know what? I can watch a church service and get my spiritual boost for the week without ever really having to commit to community. See, I don't have to be there in person to get the benefits for my spiritual life. See, I can do that at home. I can do that by watching the live stream or by watching YouTube, right? The local church is good. Being in worship on Sunday is good, but it, is it really necessary? See, I can have the best, the best of Christian teaching and worship just available on my phone. And guess what? I don't have to watch it on Sunday at nine o'clock. I can watch it at any time and at any place, you know, at any point. Right? No time commitment needed on my part. It's convenient. 
And it also has a nice ring to it when it says that I get to avoid the messiness of human nature. Right? If I just show up every so often, but I keep my healthy distance, you know what? I don't have to be known. I don't have anybody have to pry and see how ashamed I am, how messy I am, try to figure out what I'm hiding. See, if it's just Jesus and me, and I don't have this other community around me, right? No one else is needed. No one else is going to figure out what's going on inside of me. And for some of us, that sounds exciting. And yet what Paul says here is that this koinia, this fellowship, actually teaches us every good thing in Christ. When we become only consumers of Christianity, we don't share, we don't partner in faith, we miss out. And that's why the psalm we read earlier, Psalm 133, is so important. It's when brothers dwell together in unity, it's there the Lord has established his blessings. Life forevermore. St. Cyprian once said, you can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. You can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. You don't hear that a whole lot. See, the community of faith, our faith is aided, not just aided by community. It's not just helped along by community, but it is wholly dependent upon it. Community of faith is vital to growing in Christ. And how does it transform us? Right? It's the simple things, like knowing and being known by other people in a way that's deeper than surface level. Someone who, when they ask you, you know, how are you doing? They're not just looking for the cursory, I'm good. Maybe it's physically seeing the love of Christ embodied in a way that someone cares for one another. Right? It's the singing and the praying together. It's not just us looking at you, but we're encouraging each other. One of my favorite parts of the week is when I get up here and I pray the Lord's Prayer. And I have a unique seat because I'm sitting up here, but it's awesome when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer and I just hear the wall of sound echoing back at me. And you get to that point where you say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know what? That's just so encouraging to my heart. Other people believe this too. Other people are standing alongside me too. That gives me hope. That gives me encouragement. And if I don't plug in, if I don't jump into community with others, I miss out. See, Paul recognizes that it's the sharing of our faith that produces the knowledge of every good thing. See, we know God, we know the gospel, we know every good thing when we actually live together. And if we're just simply consuming Christian material and expecting growth on our own, we're going to miss it. But when we share it, when we share in our faith, when we commit ourselves to community, we actually become more filled than if we tried to do it on our own. It's a common purpose, common knowledge, and lastly, common encouragement. Paul notes that they have common purpose, and he shows them how the fellowship of the people leads them to know God in a deeper way. And finally, he gets at the reality that the community is full of common encouragement. Down in verse 7, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
you know, one of the things that I've realized, standing where I get to sit now in sort of a pastoral position already, not yet kind of thing. Glad y'all found that funny. Is walking through that door every single day, every single Sunday, are people who are tired, people who are broken, people who are crushed, people who are upset. And they come in here and they're looking for that place to belong. They're looking for refreshment. One of the images that I took to very early on about the Christian life is this idea of a pilgrimage, this idea that we're on a journey towards our heavenly home. And all of us come in here. Some are in seasons of excitement, some are in seasons of darkness. We come in here and we need refreshment. And that's why Paul points to it here. Philemon is refreshing the saints. There is common encouragement in the body of Christ. When we live life together, we have those people who stand alongside us People who we can go, oh, you're struggling with that? Me too. Mentors, when we're struggling with something, we can go, oh, can you teach me? See, in the body of Christ, there's not only common purpose, there's not only common knowledge, but there's common encouragement. As we together are pilgrims en route to our heavenly home. As I close, uh, when I was growing up, I had a friend who would spend time at hunting camps. Uh, and he would spend time at hunting camps in November during whitetail season, and he would talk about these places like it was a five-star resort. Like, he loved these hunting camps. And I didn't grow up hunting, so uh, I always asked him, I'm like, so what makes this place so great? And he would show me pictures, and I mean, this place is bare. Like, it has everything you need to live, but it really doesn't have a whole lot else. Um, And I was always like, you know, why is this place so great? And, you know, my friend would look at him and he goes, well, there's nothing really that great about it. Actually, it's kind of the worst when you have to go stay here for a few days. But it is incredible to wake up and walk outside and the deer be right there. And I think that is a great analogy of Christian. Christian community is tough. It's hard. It's difficult. It requires sacrifice of yourself. And sometimes it is just feels like it's going to be easier to go at it alone. But when we do life together, we are on the verge of the glory of God. As Psalm 133 says, there the Lord has established his blessing, life forevermore. And that's well worth the effort. Lord, you are good. You know what we need. In the beginning of time, you said it is not good for us to be alone. And so, Lord, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So, Lord, would you bind us together as a community with common purpose, common knowledge, and common encouragement? Would you be with us and be glorified in us?